0: Welcome back to another episode of Money Talks 50+. My name is Rebecca Pearl. I'm your host and program specialist for AARP Elder Watch, And I am thrilled to be here today. We are going to discuss a very important person that had a lot to do with the um, strides that women made in activism in the 1960s and 1970s. And today we're going to be focusing on Guadalupe Braseno before we get in depth on Guadalupe's story, first we have to talk a little bit about the Chicano movement. It was born out of this very strong desire for change, specifically in labor for all different sorts of issues concerning Chicano communities across the entire Southwest. Jorge Gonzalez was very, very important in starting this movement. He was a professional boxer and had a lot of name recognition and really was dedicated to helping his community create Cesar Chavez was also very important at this time making a name as the leader of the United Farm Workers of America and so we have these contributions first from Chavez and Gonzalez and the Chicano movement grows from these pivotal turning points in history. The Chicano movement was made up of People of all different walks of life, mainly Mexican-Americans, students, professors, laborers, and community leaders all came together to try to improve the lives of millions. Guadalupe Brasino was born in 1933 in Texas and grew up in a family of migrant workers who would travel around Texas finding different jobs, um she was able to leave home and marry in 1951 and she had five children. The whole family moved to Weld County, Colorado around 1957 and did various farm labor and after Guadalupe raised all of her five children and they were old enough for her to go off to work and attend school, um, she began working at the Kitayama Corporation, and this was a floral plant uh, located in Brighton. The conditions in this floral plant were absolutely horrendous and most of the folks working in the plant were Mexican-American women and they were forced to work very long hours with no overtime pay, endure unsanitary eating conditions, And work in an unsafe place that led to not just accidents, but health problems as well. So there were nurseries throughout the floral plant, of course, and they had uncovered floors. So they would be dirt floors, but when the humidity was especially high, the dirt would turn to mud and workers would just be working in the mud so that created a whole host of problems as well including accidents from slipping, falling, and also catching colds, flus, or pneumonia because working in those conditions can be very hard on your body. Guadalupe seeing these conditions decided with a group of four other women Rachel Sandoval, Martha Del Real, Mary Padea and Mary Silas, they all created the National Floral Workers Organization, also known as the NFWO. And after they established this organization, they developed this four step plan of action. The first step was gaining employee and community support. And getting um, this first step done took a lot of um relationship building on every single level. Um, but they were fairly successful and by June 1968, they had nearly 70 members in the NFWO and they were planning on creating a union. The second step was planning for a general strike, and the strike does happen. We will talk a lot about that. Don't worry. The third step was gaining political and legal support from the community, which they did. They were quite successful in establishing this political and legal support from the community. They were able to pull in Corgi Gonzalez's crusade for justice, as well as the Chicano students at the University of Boulder, who supported the, um, the strikes and the organizing at the fact. Cesar Chavez also helped advise their efforts. And he actually recognized the organization as an affiliate of his organization, United Farm Workers. And so they were a part of their organizing committee, and this was a big deal. It gave them a bit more clout and uh, name recognition. Despite the political and legal support from the community, they still faced intimidation tactics when management of the factory found out that they were organizing. The last step on their plan of action was establishing specific demands for their strike, which they definitely did. Um, Management interrupted their first informal meeting, um, which was shared by this network of folks um, that worked for the company that were trying to just spread information about the organizing. And the owner actually went to the very first informal meeting of NFWO and told the attendees to, uh, despite the clout and both legal and political support, the first parts of organizing definitely started out a bit rough. The owner actually showed up at the first informal organizing meeting um, to try to dissuade workers from joining any sort of union. Management called police officers into the plant uh, the day after the NFWO's very first meeting and The police were sent in, not because anyone necessarily did anything wrong, more so the management could intimidate any of the women that were actually trying to organize. The owner of the company also led a meeting after work hours on the same day that the police came into the factory, and he yelled at the workers... Um, He was not kind to them at all. He basically just told them that they were lucky to have a job and none of their demands would be granted. So, knowing all that, in June 1968, the NFWO had about 70 members who had already signed on to the union card, as mentioned before. But on June 28th, this is where the members decide to vote to strike. And this vote was unanimous. The strike began on July 1st, 1968. And this strike had implications for everyone, not just those on the picket line. Families of striking workers faced community harassment. Uh... Kids at school that were kids of striking workers also faced bullying and harassment. Farmers in the area changed their practices in order to avoid um, other trouble from workers. So while this one movement of workers is happening in Brighton, other farms are noticing and they are worried about the potential implications of organizing and labor rights, and so they decide to change their practices to avoid any sort of issue among their workers. Before the strike even took place, Braseno was fired from her job. The owner of the factory, Kitayama, showed up at her house with um, one of his assistants and fired her on the spot. She did not necessarily care and continued to fight for workers' rights. Um, And so this actually kind of kickstarts the strike. The NFWO has their vote because she is fired. And there were 45 strikers at Kitayama. They gained both local and national support. There was... Also recognition from local Chicano organizations like we talked about earlier. And the Kitabayama workers, despite all of this, really did struggle. Ray Kitayama was not willing to negotiate with the striking woman. And the conditions on the picket line were less than ideal. And there was also this financial toll that was happening when the women were not working um, and not earning income because of the strike. Some women would work other jobs and then, you know, work the job, go back to the picket line, work the job, go back to the picket line. And they, it was really hard. They were also blackballed from a lot of jobs, which meant that they wouldn't be hired because they were striking, and so were a lot of their family members. A lot of the women actually would work in beet fields in the afternoon uh, and attend picket lines in the morning and come back after their shift was over. So this is a very intense time and the conditions at the picket line just increasingly start to get worse because it's getting colder. And so we are eight months into the strike now. Winter is on its way and after these eight months the women decided that they were going to try one more attempt at nonviolent protesting and so they chained themselves to the gate of the Kitayama plant and of course the police showed up and under the instruction of the owner, Ray Kitayama, the officers cut the chains and then sprayed tear gas onto the striking woman. And this very powerful quote that Brisseno gives is, through our veil of tears, you could not see our broken hearts. This strike meant everything to them, fighting for their rights to work in good conditions, not unsafe, unsanitary workplaces was very, very important and also mirrored movements happening from outside of Denver and outside of Colorado, far beyond and around the world. A little bit after the strike had ended, the Kitayama plant actually closed down and Guadalupe ended up working for a different factory in Lakewood, Colorado, where she retired from. She still lives in Colorado today, and we're gonna close out with a quote from Lupe herself. We were women of integrity, pride, and conviction. We went on strike because we wanted to be treated with dignity and to improve the working conditions and obtain better wages. You know, maybe we who went on strike didn't get the benefits of what we were fighting for but other people did and that's good we completed what we started i hope you all have a wonderful week and i will be back next week with our second to last episode stay scam safe